Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. and welcome back to the pod from the Times and the Sunday Times. It's been a quiet week since we last spoke, hasn't it? Owen Farrell's still hitting players in the head. Eddie Jones is picking the greenest Wallaby squad you've ever seen. Roman Intermac, Jack Van Portfleet are out the World Cup. England and Wales served up an absolute stinker of a test match on Saturday. But then, thank God, France and Scotland came up smelling of roses. So there's loads of us to get into today. And with fly halves dropping left, right and centre, who better to chat to us about it all than Stuart Barnes. Barnsley, how are you? I'm all right. I'm very grateful that you mentioned my first book, Smelling of Roses. <laughs> books about the World Cup popping through my post all over the place. So nice <laughs> to get the reminder in. Yeah, absolutely. And also on the ruck, we welcome back our man in Ireland. Peter O'Reilly joins us, our Irish Sunday Times rugby correspondent. Peter, a calmer week from Ireland, but all steps up now with England coming to Dublin. How are you guys over there thinking about all of this? Hi, Will. Thanks for having me. Uh, hi, Barnsley. Yeah, we are uh, excited at uh, the prospect of having England over uh, this coming Saturday, which is probably it's going to be a you know it's a send off for the uh, the first choice Ireland team. Uh, we're expecting a a full house at the Aviva Stadium, and uh, yeah, there's a there's a bit of sense of excitement growing here. Yeah. Definitely, what you haven't said there is and a victory by fifty points. <laughs> definitely haven't said that. No, definitely no. haven't said that. So, look, we'll, we'll do the usual God and Goddess of the Week stuff, talk about England, Wales, France, Scotland matches, as well as look forward to England going to Ireland and Wales hosting South Africa and all sorts else. But why don't we start with a bit of breaking news? We are the news pod, I suppose, by the journalists, after all. So, before we started recording on Monday morning, uh, Roman Intermac has been ruled out of the World Cup. Um, he went off for France against Scotland in Saint-Étienne on Saturday night, and it's now been confirmed he's out the tournament with a cruciate knee ligament injury. We might widen this out, Barnsley, to the sort of curse or whatever else you'd call it with these fly halves. But just on that to start with, that's a hell of a blow for France, isn't it? Losing and to Mac their fly half. For a large part of his international career, I've always thought arguably the most elegant fly half in the world, but not the most efficient. The last 12 months, he has really picked up his game. And the fact that he's club mates with uh, the world's finest player, Antoine Dupont, helps. You know, he, he scored a lovely gliding try, which was stamped with Entomac all over. Um, 
So, yes, of course, he, he's a, a lovely player to watch. And despite what Steve Borthwick seems to think, there's nothing wrong with beauty in the game of rugby. So that's a massive blow. But f- from a for France perspective, in Mathieu Jalibert, they've had a man who for a long time has been vying with him to be France's number one. And in Antoine uh, Hastoy, Ronan O'Gara's pick uh, from Poe to become star man for La Rochelle at 10, no, France still have riches at ten, but yeah, overall, you know, when I when I saw that and heard that news about uh, Entomac, you just thought, damn, because yeah, he's a lovely player to watch. I think that's the thing, Peter, isn't it? With some of these injuries, I mean, we've had obviously Johnny Sexton's ban and Owen Farrell's impending ban, so those ones are sort of their fault. But when it comes to these injuries, it is a shame, isn't it? When you come to a World Cup and you think, oh, some of the best players are not going to be there. Yeah, I'm I'm reminded with England coming here this weekend I'm reminded of the 2011 when poor David Wallace uh, was mm. injured on the eve of departure for a World Cup he, he you know took a heavy hit from uh, from Manu Langi and it's the awful aspect or the awful side of these warm-up tests that this sort of thing can happen if you remember the top 14 final only a, a couple of months ago it was a pretty ordinary game between La Rochelle and uh, Toulouse but it was lit up at the last moment by Entomac, um and he had the capacity to light up the World Cup but as Barnsley says, like you know, I, I can't think of two more talented backups. Another twenty-four-year-old in Jalbert, he's a class player, and Hastoy will push him close. Um, so Entomac will come again. Uh, he's only twenty-four, but it's uh, yeah, it's a shame, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so while we've got you there, Peter, where are we with the, with the Johnny Sexton thing? Clearly, he he can't play yet, but there's been a bit of internal matches and things like that. And where are they looking to back him up? Who's going to be playing on Saturday? Do you think for Ireland against England at ten? Yeah, I'm I'm expecting Ross Byrne to start. There was a feeling towards the end of the domestic season that with Munster winning the URC and Jack Crowley being a star of the show that that he might leapfrog Ross Byrne into number two but it's a bit soon for that to happen Andy Farrell has invested quite a lot in Ross Byrne he's a much more seasoned um, professional 10 Uh, he played in all of I think all five of the the Six Nations games he was involved in so I'm expecting him to start and it's also there's a kind of a there's a personal journey involved there because uh, his first start in in a green shirt this is Ross Byrne I'm talking about his first start for Ireland was in Twickenham four years ago when Joe Schmidt threw him to the Wolves and uh, (laughs) England put 50 points on Ireland that day and it was a sort of a it was a hint that maybe Ireland had 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 gone over the hill a little bit that they peaked the previous year. So it's an opportunity for him to to make a statement. We know that obviously Sexton is going to be available, and the plan I would imagine is for him to start against Romania, uh, mm. who look it's a very easy opener for Ireland in Bordeaux. Uh, Romania had sixty points put on them by Georgia at the weekend, I think. Yeah. So that that would be the plan that Sexton comes back in for the for the opener. Um, they have one between this game on Saturday and the start of the World Cup. They have a game against Samoa in Bayonne, which allows them to spend a week at their World Cup base in Tour. So, um, but this this is the sort of the final send off game, as I mentioned earlier on. And I'm expecting Ross Byrne to start and Jack Crowley to come off the bench. Yeah. Okay. So. Barnsley, we'll get on to the Owen Farrell thing properly in a second, but just on all these fly halves, so we've got Untermack out the World Cup, Jalibert possibly the, the number two there, Farrell almost certainly going to be banned for a few matches of that World Cup, but George Ford the number two there, Johnny Sexton there, we've got a few options for Ireland as Peter's been talking about, Andre Pollard's injured, so Manny Lebox has been playing 10 and actually is the only kind of 
out and out 10 in the South Africa squad at the moment. And then in Australia, Quade Cooper looked like he could have had a chance, but it was dropped and they've gone with Carter Gordon. So it seems like we're at sixes and sevens at 10. Yeah, <laughs> radical times. I mean, New Zealand will be sitting there quietly with uh, Richie Moanga, solid as you come, thinking that's not so bad. That's not so bad uh, of, of the big guns. They are the only one now who are comfortable in having a 10 who's been running their show for some time. Now, it's, it's very interesting. Carter Gordon, he does some lovely things, but he doesn't look like he's got the feel to control a World Cup yet. I think Ireland, I think the Ireland issue is very interesting. Um, I was listening carefully to what Peter was saying there. I, I felt that we saw the limitations of Ross Byrne against England in the Grand Slam game. He's been asked basically to be a no frills Johnny Sexton. They're trying to make sure that the Irish system isn't broken, but he doesn't, I don't think, have the capacity under pressure to do that. And I think if he is Ireland's fly half in the big games, there's a very big weakness. Sexton's fitness now becomes overwhelmingly important. And I must say, I think Andy Farrell's done a magnificent job in Ireland. But I've seen so much of, of Crawley. I, I know that it's quite early, but I'd have just said, hey, it's England at home. Then, you know, they're a poor team, they're probably Romania sort of league. Let's just play Crawley in that match and uh, and, and give him another, another 60, 70 minutes. Yeah. You know, it's not as if they're playing a strong team. Yeah, absolutely. Well, right, we did promise that we would get onto England Wales as much as some of us are trying to forget it. But there's a lot to talk about and unpack from it. So why don't we start with there, move on to the Irish stuff and then cover a bit more on France and Scotland and everything else and end with the God or Goddess of the Week. OK, Stuart, both of us were at Twickenham on Saturday evening to our to our shame, maybe. Well, we cover them through thick and thin anyway, but... Where do we start? We've probably got to start with um, Owen Farrell and his red card. We both wrote about it in the Times on, on Monday for readers who've picked up the paper. What were your initial thoughts on it? A bad tackle and he deserves a ban, I suppose. You know, he's a, a serial illegal shoulder hitter. There's no argument about it. I would really like to see the RFU and Richard Smith not go in and battle. I'd like to see a bit of decency and morality and say we've had enough give us six weeks and we'll settle for that. Um, and I'd like to see uh, the authorities, if England actually do go in and argue the case and try and get it cut down, do what they seem to do. It's a weird way to uh, have justice, but while you didn't accept that you were a naughty boy and, and you haven't been apologetic, therefore, and you argued against it, so we're going to go 10 weeks. I'd like to see, you know, if you argue against this, it could go even further. And having said it, Farrell hasn't, I, I, you know, I came round to him last year, but I was foolhardy. I, I was uh, seduced by his Saracens form. And I've forgotten that club and country are two different things. And he hasn't played a really strong game at, at fly half or centre for England for a long time. For whatever reason, when he wears the white shirt, he can't maintain his cool and composure. The smile you see with Saracens disappears. He becomes a warrior. And as I said today, warriors... Uh, are great in one ways for sport, but when your warrior's got number 10 on his back, there are even more negatives than there are positives. So, you know, I, I, I looked at the way he was playing. I looked at the predictability with which he kicked one way and passed the other and thought, Michael Checker will have him for toast if that really is how England are going to play. And I thought, as a kid, Ford was a better fly half than Farrell. 
as an adult, he's a better fly half than Farrell. And Farrell's a major personality. And I think the issue is, do you say if he gets six weeks, you take him out of the squad? Because I think he makes it quite hard for some of the younger players to breathe and find their feet. And I'm thinking of Ford starting and if England need to chase a game, which given the fact they don't have a great pack they might have to do, then it would help Marcus Smith as well. So I think there's a big issue. If he's going to be out for six weeks, for example, which would leave you with the possibility of him playing in the final, then you just say, let's do it. Let's leave him. I think this is becoming my catchphrase on the podcast, but just to do the admin on these things. <laughs> so he gets his... He he got his yellow card for his hit on Tame Basham. Tame Basham failed an HIA. Although I've seen that Warren Gatlin has said he's slightly questioning how he failed that HIA because I think he was distracted by the television in the changing room, which sounds a bit of an odd thing to say. But there you go. So he then got upgraded on the new bunker system, which essentially a second TMO looks at it and decides whether it should have been a red. They correctly decided that it was a red card. So now we go into. Richard Smith, as you mentioned, Stuart Barnes, the KC, the King's Council, the, the top silk that England have, who once got Dave Atwood off a, a ban in Australia where he stamped on someone on a technicality, basically, because I think it, by the tour agreement it was meant to say that the, the sighting commissioner should have been neutral and he turned out to be Australian. So it's a bit like one of those of like, oh, you weren't wearing your seatbelt or something. So he, he's got a history with doing well for England players. But I think, as you say, Barnsley, he's going to have a hell of a job this time. So what happens now is that he's Farrell's having his hearing on Tuesday. We may or may not get the verdict that exact day. Sometimes they take a long time. But he's facing a six-week ban, which is the mid-range. It always starts there if you hit someone in the face these days, um, which Farrell did with his right shoulder. And then it's, yeah, whether any mitigations are taken into account, which some of them come from a guilty plea, timely, a good conduct at the hearing, all those sorts of things that frustrate people. <laughs> <laughs> saying hello, wearing, wearing a nice suit. I remember Joe Marler once saying <laughs> a few years ago, he was like, I can't believe it, I turned up with a bright orange Mohican and I didn't get the good conduct tick in the box kind of thing. So yeah, we, we will see. If he is banned for six weeks, he'll then miss, clearly, Ireland away this Saturday, Fiji at home the next week, and then all four of the pool games at the World Cup. So at that point, it's a massive decision for Borthwick whether to take him or not. And then... If it's four weeks, five weeks, I think a lot of people are up in arms because Farrell does have a long history. He's never been sent off for England, but he has had a ban in 2016 for a tackle on Dan Robson that was a couple of weeks. He had a, a worse one in 2020 on Charlie Atkinson that people remember, another Wasps game where he knocked the, the young fly half well, that out. that was a savage. That was awful. And he got five weeks for that. And then more recently, he got a ban in January, which people remember because he then attended what we now call tackle school um, to get a week off his ban, and therefore he was available for Steve Borthwick's first game in the Six Nations. And one thing I noted in my piece today was that at the time, England was so keen to tell us that Kevin Sinful was so good at um, rehabilitating offenders that World Rugby actually used the footage he went through with Jasper Visa at Leicester in the sort of tackle school thing. World Rugby used that as their blueprint for the videos that coaches should send in to try and get people off a band so I think the fundamental point with Farrell here is that he's not learning he's I think he accounted up he's played 347 professional matches 107 of them have been England tests and he's done it again Stuart like it's it's a massive frustration for England that and I'm sure for him that here's a guy who's a talented rugby player who's 
got several opportunities to learn how to tackle safely and is not doing it. No, also, you see, the defence will only talk about the, the number of times he's... How infrequently he's been sent off. But that still doesn't mean that referees don't get it horrendously wrong. And if you think to a South Africa game with Esther Hazen, which was the most clear and identical shot to the one we saw on Saturday. 2018, this is, yeah. The same series against Australia. An identical shot that rocked the ball loose from a second row's hand and England held on and won the game. And he was a hero for getting away with it. But this is the point. You... It's not about getting away with it. It's about the sport saying, are we just talking about health and safety or are we going to do something? And if Owen Farrell doesn't get the minimum mid-range, the minimum, because his his track record, it doesn't matter what anyone says, his track record is is awful. I've watched thousands and thousands of minutes, hundreds of hours of Farrell playing, and too often we see this. He's one of the most famous rugby players in the world, so, ergo, how does World Rugby really say we are a body that is trying to make sure that we don't have dangerous play when one of the most famous protagonists, England, Captain uh, England, is spending all their intellectual firepower trying to get him off? And he's not even playing very well at 10. It's in the interest of the game, it would be good if he got quite a big ban here. So, if we widen it out to the game itself, Stuart. Um... Clearly, England came back and actually won the game, and Steve Borthwick was keen to point out that that showed a lot of character. Um, I don't know if you'd agree with me that I thought that a show of defiance and character against the 10th best team in the world is hardly a sort of kite mark of quality that England fans should be running down Whitton Road afterwards celebrating. But did the Farrell thing kind of overshadow how desperately poor England was, particularly in that first half? Well, well first of all, I'm sure... Peter will, will agree. Um, these games are not simply about the results. They're about so much more. And and Steve Borthwick saying that it shows character is it, it, he's diverting from, A, the Farrell situation, which he thinks is more substantially bad news for England than I certainly do. And two, he's diverting from the fact that England have hardly played any rugby since he has taken over and they were terrible in Cardiff and they were worse. Other thing you have to say, Wales are rated tenth in the world, but this you've got to remember was nowhere near a Welsh full team. No, not it's at much all. Much nearer an England full team. The most experienced team England have ever put out. Twenty three yeah, man squad. Mind you, having said that, all this talk about experience, these are blokes who have been playing for the last three years or so when England they've been amassing caps while England have just been getting worse and worse. So <laughs> We just sometimes, things are said and we just go along with it. The reality is that, experience or not, it was a rookie Welsh team and England, they won because Wales in the end wilted in the set piece and they lost uh, all formal leadership. I'd also say the one positive is George Ford came on and, and much like he did in 2020 in Paris when Farrell had lost the plot completely, he just grabbed the game, he put the ball in the right places, he kicked well, he varied his game, and he made England look a halfway intelligent team when they had looked fairly dunce-like for most of the game. Yeah, I mean, we did mention it at the top when we talked about all the fly halves, but England are unbelievably fortunate, really, to have an 83-cap man at 
in uh, the, of the quality of George Ford to come in now, don't they? I mean, and also if they want a, other leaders, Courtney Laws, you'd think would be a, a pretty good shout to be captain now. No, he would have been a pretty good shout to be my captain um, a few years ago. He did a good. The players liked him. Mm. The players relaxed with him, and he was just getting into the captaincy. He gets injured, and then he's lost it again to Owen Farrell. Owen Farrell is a real follow follow me type, uh, and it can be inspiring. I don't dispute that, but it can also be very hard if you are in a transitional team and you are trying to change the way you play and you're trying to bring younger players in. Sometimes big personalities make things very hard for younger players and I think we've been seeing this happen with England. Talking of uh, younger players, we must mention poor old Jack Van Portfleet. Um, I think it was 32 minutes in, he tripped over Ollie Lawrence and he now, England have confirmed on Monday as we're recording that he requires surgery on his ankle so that means he's out of the World Cup and Alex Mitchell from Northampton Saints is coming to replace him. I don't know, Stuart, if that will help speed England up. I mean, they've still got Danny Kerr and Ben Youngs, clearly the, the two most captain England scrum halves of all time, but there'll be quite a few England fans pleased to see Mitchell get his shot. Yeah, I think, first of all, you have to say, uh, there are a lot, I felt that Mitchell and Spencer should have been in it, and I think England made a right horlicks of their scrum half selection. But the first emotion has to be sympathy. Um, he's a young guy, and he wasn't having the greatest game, but... You know, when you get ruled out of the World Cup, and how how old is he? Twenty. Twenty two. Jack Van Portfleet. Yeah. And Mitchell's you know, twenty six. My, my, my overwhelming emotion is sympathy, and yeah. you know, you can think about what it means, and, and maybe it will help them with Mitchell coming in. But I think you know, within within such a short span of the news breaking, all you can say is is, is send sympathy to the bloke and uh, his family and friends. It's, yeah. it's rotten. Yeah, poor guy. So, uh, Peter, obviously, this this England team that we don't quite know what it is or how it's trying to play are coming to play Ireland this weekend. We've had a, a week off their warm-up games, haven't they? Is it a weird situation, I don't know, for, for Irish journalists and Irish supporters and others going, England are terrible and Ireland should, should beat them, Ireland are the number one team in the world. It all feels a bit weird this year for Irish fans, does it? I don't know. A little bit, yeah. I mean, my my impression of England... I suppose is based largely on the Grand Slam game, where Ireland feel that they didn't play particularly well. They wondered whether it was stage fright, you know, they were on, on the verge of, of uh, achieving something significant, or whether it was it was England actually make, being difficult to play against. And they England are difficult to play against. I think, you know, when you, you watch them play on, on Saturday, you're trying to figure out what exactly, when they have the ball, what are they trying to do with it? And, you know, they seem at a very early stage of their development. It's like um, when you're starting off, you'll, you'll let's, let's get the, um, the things that are simple to get right. We'll get those sorted out. And after that, we'll, we'll move on to perhaps something more, a little bit more sophisticated. But I, I don't know how often, I mean, you probably have the stats, Will, but how often have the same 9, 10, 12, 13 played for England in the last couple well, of yeah. years? It seems like it seems like there's constant chopping and changing. So as Barnsley mentions there, uh, being able to put George Ford in there for a sequence of games now is actually definitely a, a silver lining. You can build some sort of a, a rhythm. Right? He can achieve some sort of a rhythm. And as you say, he's been, I remember him playing really well for uh, for England at Lansdowne Road or at the Aviva in, in 2015 when he was, he was only a kid. And... Uh, and afterwards, Sexton commenting on, God, this guy's got such a high ceiling. So he gets an opportunity now. You can build some rhythm. And I just noticed that there's the small things like whenever England won a, 
a turnover penalty or something like that. They celebrated like they won the game. It's like they look like a team that are determined to feel good about themselves. Mm. And I also have a suspicion that, that Owen Farrell is central to that. Um, that's just looking from the outside in. My expectation is that, you know, I love Barnsley's idealism, but my expectation is, is that it's going to be a six-week entry point, as we said, and he's going to go in and, and apologise and it'll it'll go down to five or four. Uh, that's the reality of it. And so he's going to miss the Argentina game, but he'll be around for the knockouts. And England, though you might argue don't deserve it, are going to, they're going to stroll into the quarterfinals. And from the other side of the draw, that's what Irish supporters are probably feeling a bit jealous about, is that yeah. we'd love to be where England are, just on that side <laughs> of the pool. I know. It's, know? It's, I was talking about this with someone else the other day, and it's just it's brutal, isn't it? Because imagine if you were to swap, let's say, Ireland and England... Uh, to the other side of the draw England might pick a completely different squad and say well it's a bit of a shot to nothing we're with the top four or five teams in the world we're not where we think we need to be and Ireland you just go wow it's opened up completely with that side of the draw but it's it's so (laughs) it feels almost cruel for Ireland this time doesn't it that you go in number one team in the world on a grand slam and in order to get just through to a semi-final You've got to play well or beat South Africa, and then definitely beat one of France or New Zealand. Like, how are the how are the yeah. Irish camp kind of? How, they ration, how are they at the moment? That. Yeah, they'll they'll rationalise that by saying, "Well, we're going to have to beat New Zealand or, or France at some stage to win a World Cup." You know, they they have reframed the the narrative. It's always been about getting to our you know Ireland getting to their first to the last four for the first time. Mm. So Farrell has reshaped it by saying we're going there to win the World Cup. So it doesn't matter really when we play New Zealand or, or France, which look like being potential, you know, the probable quarterfinalists for whoever um, the top two that come out of this group. I, 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 I'm phrasing my words carefully there because I watched Scotland for the last two mm. weeks. And, uh, you know, I'm, I mentioned earlier the Romania game being a bit of an, you know, uh, it'll be a bit of a turkey shoot, but... I'd say Ireland will go into that game thinking about points differential because there's every possibility that it's going to be a fascinating pool. You can use that as a as a see that as a from a positive point of view if you're uh, if you're the World Cup organisers. But you know there's a possibility that Scotland are Scotland Ireland and South Africa are going to trip over each other and it'll come down to points difference that sort of thing. So that's the way the way Farrell will look at it is is just by saying yeah, that's what he'll tell his players. Listen, don't don't so much think about trying to get to the the semi-final let's let's think about going the whole hog here what are you sensing from them Peter with the way they're approaching it it sounds like the few dispatches that we've heard you guys have been closer to it than us they're playing with (laughs) the ball a bit more and and mentioning that a lot I mean it sounded like four years ago the sort of overarching detail of Joe Schmidt kind of was too much by the end whereas this time is it a bit more relaxed do you think the build up to this World Cup well Schmidt and and, and David Nusifora the performance director they they made a decision at the start of 2019. They had a do we change our game plan? Do we evolve and and uh, trying to m- move beyond that sort of uh, that Schmidt blueprint? Uh, and they decided to keep going with Plan A, but just do it better. And I know that the players who were involved that summer, you know, at this time of of the year four years ago, felt that they hadn't worked on their skills enough. That it was it was all about fitness and all about army camps and all that team building stuff. So they have gone for you know three warm up games and a, and a training spin against Portugal last week and they have they've used the ball at every opportunity and uh, Farrell has also mentioned the fact that they've had to evolve so by that I mean I'm guessing he's talking about a different different attack shapes um so that 
the opposition video analysts are made to work a little bit harder. So he's got about four guys who have been to three World Cups already. Murray, Sexton, Earls, Keane Healy as well. So that's that's a bunch of people too, who have plenty of sort of intellectual capital. They know what worked before and what didn't work before. Uh, Farrell himself was involved uh, as defence coach for the last World Cup cycle. So they've gone for one game fewer. Everything that they've done has involved a ball. And I think that's... Um, that sounds clever. And um, they're determined to not be exactly the same team that won the Grand Slam a few weeks ago, a few few months ago. So yeah. if they can achieve that and they can keep feeling about, as good about themselves as they as they apparently do, I think they can they, they can do something special at this World Cup. But there's always a rider and it's, I suppose, it it, um, it involves Johnny Sexton, funnily yeah, enough. Yeah. And, uh, and it probably involves Andrew Porter and, and Tyke Furlong being able to to go the distance as well. Just on the Sexton one, do you get the sense that they're dealing with the kind of circus around all of that quite well? Because he's so influential, like even more so than Owen Farrell with England. There was just never a question that he would not go to the World Cup, even if he was banned for more games. That He's so influential and so important and basically like a coach on the field and around the place, isn't he? But there is a, there is a lot around him not being available for some of these games, isn't there? Well... It might work out to be a blessing because he has Sexton has a history of of kind of being airdropped into the middle of tournaments, even though he hasn't played much rugby and and surviving physically. Now he's he's thirty eight now, so it's going to get t- it's getting tougher and tougher. Um, but some people are looking at the th- the three the three game ban, the, the misconduct ban, uh, as a blessing because it means he'll definitely get to France anyway. <laughs> uh, it's interesting the the guy who chaired the panel for his misconduct cases is also on the. Uh, is one of the Aussies who's uh, who's on the Owen Farrell okay, case, actually. But unlike, say, Scotland, who go in with the, their first games against South Africa, having Romania first up allows him to to have a bit of a hit out in the first game, uh, allows Sexton to, to ease his way into the tournament. I would imagine he'll try and get a few minutes in the second game uh, against Tonga, maybe off the bench, and then start against South Africa in game three. That would be the ideal situation. There's a two-week gap between that game and uh, and Scotland because mm-hmm. as you know the pool section uh, has been extended for welfare reasons and player safety so um, it could work out okay for him you know uh, the important thing is that you your playmaker and your captain and your most important player can be there for the knockout stages assuming that Ireland get there and uh, that, that's the plan but he is arguably more important than Owen Farrell is to England uh, and um, just because he is he's Farrell's kind of presence on the pitch he's got that ability we know we know Johnny Sexton's abilities at this stage and he he does have this desire to to go out on a high because he's he's suffered so many World Cup disappointments himself you know he's been to three previous tournaments and so he's driven uh, he and and Farrell are a uh, are quite the couple. Pete I was listening to that and you're talking about the importance of Sexton, and we've talked about Farrell at length. Very briefly, watching that Scotland again, is Johnny Sexton more important to Ireland than Finn Russell is to Scotland? Because Russell is flourishing on that game line, and absolutely everything from Scotland is coming off this magician. Yeah, I I think uh, what I noticed about Russell was on Saturday was that he was, his, uh, as well as doing all that, that brilliant magician stuff on the game line. He was also getting stuck into tackles and yeah. chasing back. You get the impression that this is definitely, it's his World Cup. It's in France. Uh, he has a French audience already and he wants to, you know, he wants to be the star of that World Cup. You know, there seems to be a, 
good relationship now between him and Townsend. I think Townsend going to his second World Cup, you're always a better coach when you're, you've had disappointments and you learn your lessons and all that sort of thing. As to whether he's more important, I couldn't think of two fly halves really who would be more different temperamentally or stylistically, but they're on a par when it comes to their influence, definitely. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, you've, you've teed us up nicely to move on to the France-Scotland game, which probably was a bit of an antidote to some of the, the dirge of England-Wales. So after this, why don't we talk in more detail about France against Scotland? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. So, yes, as we said, after England and Wales had served up a pretty dour spectacle at Twickenham, um, it was worlds apart, Stuart, in St Etienne, wasn't it? I mean, amazing atmosphere. Um, a game that was won late, 30-27, all sorts going on. Some unbelievable tries. Scotland with a bit of daring do as well, France playing in the way they do. You must have really enjoyed that. I, I love the game, but international rugby doesn't have to be the straight-jacketed game that England seemed to have reinvented it as. You know, Twickenham, when, when England scored one of their driving forward tries, the noise, I thought, was huge. But I don't think it was. I think it was, there was silence throughout. Contrast that with what was bleeding out of my television Sunday morning from Sinetian. And there was a right to be excited because it it, it it was a good game. It was a very interesting game as well. You know, I, I thought the previous week when Scotland won, it was a second stroke third French team. So you can't take much from it. And I, I think I said in the paper, if they beat France in Sinetian, that really will be a stunning result. And they nearly did. So, so what happened? Well, the fact that Scotland's first team played a week earlier meant that they were far less rusty. France haven't sent their big guns out until this week. And you could see it a little bit. And I thought they were blowing a bit in the last 25 minutes. So that might explain why Scotland got so close. But you have to give Scotland a lot of credit as well. Richie 
I think he's got to stop talking to referees as much, but he's flourishing in every other way as a captain. He's magnificent. Scotland held on. Uh, I, I think the fact that Older Gary started and Antonio came off the bench helped, but the Scottish pack held on there in many ways and just talked about it. Russell gives them a capacity to do literally anything. Tui Pilotu and Hugh Jones who looked so poor for Glasgow against Toulon in the European Challenge Cup final. He makes them look world-class, and, and that is just how good he is. And when White comes back at scrum half, he's a very good player as well. Scotland have become not contenders to win a World Cup, but they've become very dangerous, as, as Pete has inferred, for either and both Ireland and France. So you saw this game, and it just brought a smile to your face. From the French perspective, also, you'd say... Antoine Dupont was in third gear throughout and he still looked the best player in the world. His capacity to kick it vast distances off left to right foot it is astonishing. His decision-making, when to go left or right, is equally good. And they've lost one of the most stylish players in the tournament in Entomac, but they have the most influential of that, there is no doubt. So huge amount of positives to take from that game yeah. and thoroughly entertaining. Did you see the bit where DuPont punctured the ball? He kicks it so hard that he deflated it. Did you see that? Blair King on court it in the backfield was just about to pass it and then went, oh, hang on, there's no air in this ball. <laughs> just shows He's how powerful his boot is. Uh, well... He's a superhero, Peter O'Reilly. What are your views on him? Well, I'm interested to see how Antoine Dupont hands, handles the the pressure when it all kicks off. He seems impervious to injury uh, and impervious to pressure, which is part part of his his genius. But one of the one of the questions that you hear over here quite a lot of the time is who would you prefer? Now, it's like you know, who would you prefer Ireland to play in a a World Cup quarterfinal, France or New Zealand? And uh, it's a slightly presumptuous question because, you know, it presumes that we're, that Ireland are going to get to that quarterfinal stage. But, you know, when Ireland came back from New Zealand last summer, having won a series out there, everybody would have said, oh, we, we'll take New Zealand again. But I'm, my feeling is that Ireland would be better off playing France. And one of the reasons being that it's a Six Nations match. It's, it's one that Ireland have won as often as, as, they, as they have lost in the last 10 years. A lot of those young French players would have grown up. was looking up to some, some Irish teams, uh, respecting them, not taking anything for, for granted against them. But I'm also interested to see how, the France, how France handled the pressure. This, much more than 2007, is, you know, it's going to be the whole country behind them or on top of them, depending which way you look at it. They just lost one of their poster boys to injury. So the pressure comes even more onto Dupont now. And I just thought there was just a hint of uh, Fabian Galtier feeling pressure in his post-match comments after the Scotland game. He said, uh, yes, um, Scotland pushed us close, but they are at a much further stage of their development uh, because their domestic league finished in May and the top 14 didn't finish till the end of June. I'm thinking... You're playing New Zealand in three weeks, man. Like, yeah. So surely your preparation should be, you know, at a reasonable stage. I also, a French, a French contact was telling me that, that Galtier, initially he, was, he wanted an easy tournament opener at the Stade de France. You know, he wanted to play one of the tier two teams. But it was the, the commercial department said, mm. no, no we're, we're going to go for New Zealand. We need a big, a big opening game here. But that, like 2007, when they lost to Argentina on the opening night, that could be a huge deflator yeah. for, for the whole country if they lose to New Zealand on the opening night. So I just thought Galtier's comments, you know, hinted at um, a certain amount of pretty much tension, if you like. So we'll see. God, it's so exciting, isn't it? Like, 
you mentioned Ireland, South Africa earlier, Peter, and France, New Zealand. As much as we're all a bit depressed by watching England at the moment, there's so many good games that are coming up there, Stuart. It's going to be a brilliant World Cup, whatever England Oh, yeah, do. And, and, and it's it's so hard to call. And, you know, we're, we're, all are, we're all rightly saying, blimey, it's too lopsided. But it does make... It makes the pool stages and half the quarterfinals better than they've ever yeah. been at the World Cup. And I was listening to Peter there, and it's fascinating because I'm still thinking New Zealand are a country, the psychology of rugby is big there. And, and I think Ireland's run against them, not just the series, but the wins in Chicago and the wins in Dublin. I don't think New Zealand fancy Ireland at all. And I also think that Andy Farrell's confidence against New Zealand would would blow through. I don't think, funnily enough, it wouldn't surprise me if New Zealand shocked France in the first game. But I think France have the capacity, the organisation and the squad to bounce back. I I could see Ireland beating New Zealand in a quarterfinal and ending up playing France in a final. it's, It's very hard because... You know, Ireland are going to have to beat South Africa and Scotland. But that, if you said to me, where would you go? I, I would be looking at New Zealand to shock France and then get taken out of the World Cup by an Ireland team that may just have been given a bit of a scrummage lesson by South Africa, mm. but will learn and bounce back. So, I mean, it's, you know, this is supposition and it's, it's wildest frenzied moments but that's what people how people are going to be thinking yeah and to have those four the undoubtedly the best four teams in the world playing each other at this stage is incredible it could scar it come the final it probably will scar the semis but a quarter final my god it's it's wonderful well we've got more matches warm-up matches coming this weekend wales have got south africa coming which will be interesting to see what sort of side south africa bring um they're also then going to play New Zealand in a couple of weeks, which is a hell of a warm-up game to have for that week up from the World Cup at Twickenham. Um, we mentioned that Ireland are hosting England, Italy are playing Romania as well, and France are playing Fiji while Scotland have a weekend off. I mean, Mark Palmer in today's paper was talking about the fact that they need to still cut four players. They're, they're working out whether Ben White's going to be fit after an ankle injury. He's seeing a specialist today, it seems, on Monday. But yeah, they need to get rid of a tight head, a prop, a back row and a scrum half. So that's the thing with some of these other squads. They're... They haven't been picked yet, whereas England went fairly early. Of of those sets of games, Stuart, what are you looking for? A bit of, I don't know, it's it's hard to tell sometimes in these World Cup cycles where the box are at because they kind of hide their first team, don't they? Is that, is it yeah. that intriguing, that one, Wales, South Africa? Well, I think South Africa are going to play a, a different style of rugby. They're not going to be playing Barbarians rugby, but I don't think in 2023 you'll see what they did in 2019 and for that reason, everyone is, you know, we're all assuming that Pollard will come back and that Razi Erasmus has got his fingers all over it and it's a cunning plan. But Manny Libert is, is, is if they want to use a spectacularly talented back three, as they seem that they want to do, Libert gives you more than Pollard, who's played about four good games in a, in a league that we're all saying England are struggling because the quality of the league's not good enough, but we want it both ways. You know, he's had a couple of good games for Leicester, so he's a world beater. That He hasn't played well for a long time. So that South African game, I, I want to see if they're combining this power game with uh, some extravagant kicks to their wingers. I want to see whether Phil Emser's going to be full back or the brilliant rugby brain of Vili LaRue. That's a very exciting game. 
The other game that that intrigues me is France. It's France Fiji, isn't it? Yeah, eight yeah, o'clock yeah, Saturday I, I, night this week. France Fiji, because much as I stay absolutely committed to uh, thinking France will win this World Cup, I think after the Scotland game they'll they'll want to push on a bit, and I think. With Wales and Australia in an intriguing pool, I want to see what Fiji can do against one of the best teams in the world. I'm really looking forward to that match. Yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, we should we could we could maybe do a trailer, could we? For a, 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 I'm nodding over here to Alfie, the producer, because a special guest may be coming in a week or so's time um, that has links to Fiji, and you can probably guess who he is. But we'll, we'll leave that one hanging. And <laughs> why don't we um, why don't we round up this episode of the Ruck? with our God or Goddess of the Week after this. Right, guys, so God or Goddess of the Week time. Uh, Peter O'Reilly, why don't we start with you? Where are you going for your halo this week? Well, I was tempted to go with um, with Robbie Robertson, the, the guitarist and songwriter with the band who sadly died last week, but I know that Barnsley's going to go there. There's a <laughs> connection. So instead... Slightly odd one, a little bit perverse of me. Um, I'm going to go for Jack Dempsey, the Scotland number eight. He's not the most popular rugby player in the world based just purely on his selection for Scotland, based on the fact that he's already played for Australia, uh, not just at 20s and schoolboy level, but he's also he's actually played a good few times for the Wallabies. Uh, he's got a Glaswegian grandfather and he's, you know, he's made use of, uh, of that, uh, that sort of technicality which allows him to play for... Uh, a second team. Um, so I'm uncomfortable with the idea of somebody changing direction in their late 20s like that. But purely on his rugby playing ability, there was something godlike about him uh, on Saturday night in Saint-Étienne. He is a, a some athlete, the horse of a number eight who gives Scotland real go forward. But also, you know, he's, he's skillful as well. I think he might be a bit of a missing link for them. So he's my god of the week. There you go. Stuart Barnes. Didn't see many gods at Twickenham, did we? No, we didn't. But Peter O'Reilly is a dangerous man. He can read my mind (laughs) across the Irish Sea. Indeed, Robbie Robertson was the man I was thinking. Those guitar solos, those riffs, it makes no difference. Heartbreaking stuff. Um, But I can't go for a a non-rugby man because I am a conformist at heart. So (laughs) (laughs) I, I... I'm a conformist at heart, therefore I'm going to go rugby's non-conformist and, and go Finn Russell. Peter said it as well. I think he'll, he'll love playing in France where he's idolised. The courage of his game, the call of his game, and the fact that he's gone from being a bloke who really doesn't want to bother with the time kicking goals. You know, He was a terrible goal kicker for a while and it caused Scotland no end of problems because they had to stick with Laidlaw because they didn't have another kicker. Now he's become such a rounded, brilliant rugby player that he's even prepared to do the sort of minutiae of the one-minute preparation, which is quite (laughs) tedious. And, you know, he kicks goals, he makes breaks, he probably listens to the band in his spare time. So my God of the Week is Finn Russell. There you go. Well, I'm going to stay with that same game, but I think I'll go to possibly one of the more obvious Gods of the Week. Um, will probably be one of the future gods of the week too is Antoine Dupont he's, he's been maybe slightly quieter possibly for France I mean he's ludicrously high standards but yeah from deflating the ball to 
kicking off both feet, box kicking. He get, he's actually making box kicking interesting by smashing them so far with both feet that he's... <laughs> people are actually keen to watch it. And also, yeah, just the support running. I mean, the way he was there running a dummy line for the Olivon try. Awesome. So welcome back onto Dupont. He's a god of the week. So there you go, everyone. We, another Baruch. Um, we're going to try and maybe widen it out a bit next week and talk about some Celtic stuff. I know we haven't done loads on Wales, but they've got South Africa next week, so hopefully we can major on them next week. And then very quickly, we're going to be all off to the World Cup, so there'll be loads more, hopefully, from Peter as Ireland ramp to the World Cup. <laughs> but um, for now, Peter, thanks thanks so much for coming on. Hopefully see you again soon. and I'll see you out in Dublin on the weekend. Thanks, thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. And yeah, looking forward to seeing you here on, uh, on Friday evening for a for a pint there you go yes and Stuart Barnes pleasure as always thanks very much for coming on Barnesy thank you love speaking to everyone thanks for all your help Alfie great seeing you speaking to you Pete and you goodbye perfect, perfect. And we've got an early them. early reference there to our king producer the great Alfie Reynolds thanks so much to him and also for you to listening but that has been the rock from the Times and the Sunday Times follow subscribe read the paper for all your own feral news and everything else this week but for now see you later and goodbye This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,